0: Hello and welcome to That Movie Was, a movie discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matt. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: In this episode, we watched a movie called Just Mercy from 2019. So this movie is actually free to rent right now for the entire month of June. We thought it was very important to bring it before people just kind of because of what's going on during this time that we're recording.
1: Right, um, right. It seemed very, it seemed very appropriate for how, especially the world is going right now.
0: Right. So for anybody who might be listening back on this episode, we're recording this during the George Floyd protests, back Black Lives Matter movement.
1: Right, right. And uh, let's definitely coming from, for example, here in Charlotte, North Carolina, the protests are still going strong. I think we're 11 or 12 days in mm-hmm. and still, still seeing definitely multiple protesters downtown got helicopters flying over. It's a, uh, it's a big deal. Uh, hopefully this, this changes uh, for the good and for the permanent.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. And so right now, um, like I said, just mercy it's free to rent for the entire month of June. You can rent it on, Uh, Amazon Prime, Apple, Vudu, um, any of those services. There's also a few other movies that are available to rent right now that are um, also dealing with this cause. Uh, I know Selma's free to rent um, as well as I believe there's a couple of others, Ali and um, a few more. But this movie in particular uh, just really uh, spoke to us and um, he's got some great actors in it, too. Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, Bree Larson.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also you got Ice Cube's son, O'Shea. O'Shea Jackson back, Yeah, he's, he's back <laughs> in it as well. As well as, I don't know if you recognize, I mean, I always recognize him when I see him, but Tim Blake Nelson...
0: So, all I know him from is the Incredible Hulk movie. (laughs) No way. No way. I guess it's not
1: what you know him from. (laughs) No. no, Okay, first, there's a Netflix special show movie uh, called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Okay. And he plays a role in that. But I cannot help but when I think of Tim Blake Nelson, go back to holes with um, Shia LaBeouf.
0: Yeah, right. Okay, I hadn't made that
1: connection. Yeah, he's one of the, uh, like, quote, quote, camp counselors and stuff (laughs) like that, and he's the one that, like, is always up in Zero's grill in that movie, and then Zero slaps him in the face with a shovel. Yeah,
0: okay. It's all going back
1: now. (laughs) (laughs) He is definitely, like, 15 years old, but uh, it's, like, I can't help but pull it out. And, I mean, that's just my knowledge, but, I mean, he's been a – B plus support actor <laughs> for multiple movies.
0: Yeah, one of those guys who I'm sure you've seen across multiple movies but just uh it's know, like oh, it's that a starring role.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. But how funny is it to like and also like really good at the same time to have Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Fox be in the same movie?
0: Well, yeah, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, they uh they played off each other. Oh, Michael B. Really, Jordan, really excuse well. me. Yeah.
1: Right. They did. They did indeed. And uh, I was looking and I think this was their first collaboration. But I mean, like the on like set chemistry is Mm -hmm. it's really there.
0: Yeah, I believe this is their first collaboration. I know um, Michael B. Jordan and Brie Larson had been in another movie beforehand, actually by the same director. But yeah, Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, they played off each other really well. And um, I mean, they both command all the scenes that they're in.
1: Definitely. I definitely agree. Well, you want to jump, you want to jump right into the synopsis?
0: Yeah, let me jump into the synopsis. So, (laughs) the year is 1989, and uh, Brian Stevenson, who's played by Michael B. Jordan, is a uh, young Harvard Law graduate, travels to Alabama, and um, his goal there is really to help uh, win some court cases for people who can't afford um, the proper legal representation. So, Moves out to Alabama, uh, teams up with Eva Ansley, who's a uh, local there. That's played by Brie Larson. And they together found the um, Equal Justice Initiative. And so the goal of that is to basically get death row inmates legal representation and making sure that, you know, nobody's is um, unjustly put to death. So... Um, Really, one of the first cases he takes on is that of Walter Johnny D McMillan, and that's Jamie Foxx. Johnny, D. Jamie. Johnny uh, D, Johnny,
1: Johnny. <laughs> I couldn't help it; like I wanted to, like I was hoping he was like a saxophone player or like. <laughs> <laughs> there's just something about the name Johnny D that he's just a cool cat, man.
0: He could have been. Maybe that was one of the deleted scenes. <laughs> he ain't no jive turkey. <laughs> so he's an African American man. Convicted on the 1986 murder of Rhonda Morrison, a white woman. Um, Really, that crime is just one of those that I think the police in this town want to solve without really caring who takes the fall for it. And so um, come to find out throughout a few different revelations that Johnny D's been set up to look guilty of this crime.
1: Yeah, it's definitely. She's like an 18 year old white girl in 1980s Alabama, like small, I think it was Mobile, Mobile, Alabama, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And I mean, just those small town livings, those small town communities, especially when there's something as abrupt as like a teenage girl murder, the. the the community was in an uproar and really demanded answers from a law enforcement. So that just backs up the fact that like really the police force was just looking for every and any excuse to put someone's name to the blame.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're dealing with a uh, corrupt police force. I think they just want to close this case kind of, you know, shush up the people of the town and make them all feel comfortable again. And they don't mind throwing Johnny D under the bus and putting them on death row just to, you know, get moving on with life. Um,
1: Yeah. Really intense opening scene with him just doing his job as a, he looked, what was he a lumberjack lumberjack. Yeah. He ran his own lumberjack like business. And then next thing you know, he's trying to drive home and there's a roadblock with 10 Mm -hmm. cops with guns on him and stuff like that. Like that just, if that even happened to me being, I mean, I would, Be pooping my pants. There would be poop in my pants.
0: Oh, it was a tense scene, definitely. Yeah.
1: I Uh, can't, I could, I would not be able to (laughs) keep a straight face just breaking through the tears.
0: I didn't do anything.
1: But, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it was very intense. Very, uh, they just jumped right into the action with this film.
0: Yeah. And so there's, there's a mountain of evidence, um, kind of proving Johnny D's innocence in this case, uh, you know, whether it be, Um, Some of his neighbors, you know, were with him at the time of the supposed murder. Uh, One of the key witnesses who is also in prison um, was actually uh, at a mechanic shop um, with another uh, young African-American man, you know, at the time that he supposedly saw um, all of this go down. And so things aren't just adding things just aren't adding up. But
1: right, right. It was very, it was almost shocking how fast Brian found multiple loopholes in the testimony of the police officers. And the entire time, like you just said, they were relying on the one, uh, you know, the one testimony from this guy that worked the mechanic shot that was played by Tim Blake Nelson. I can't remember his name at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's like nobody wanted to dig too deep into this case because they didn't want to open up old wounds you know everyone was like hey we got the guy we're gonna kill him let's move on you know hey we got this 18 year old white woman justice everybody's fine with it even if they know deep down that johnny d wasn't really the guy and the murderer is still out there and it's, um, it's uh it's really just uh taking Brian, a uh, back because I mean he's a recent law graduate. I think he feels that hey, nothing is to be held over the law and justice. And then he comes to this town in Alabama, um, yeah, Mobile or Montgomery County, I think. And everybody just wants to turn a blind eye to the truth. Um, and I multiple cases of um, people just kind of being very dismissive of Brian when he approaches them with irrefutable evidence that Johnny D isn't the guy.
1: Yeah. He's that def- Brian is definitely a greenhorn when it comes to like, I mean, he's, his book knowledge is, Very savvy, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, though, he just doesn't have the experience to back it up, and especially since he's—I mean—he's moving all the way from Harvard to go to some of the most, you know, uh, smallest communities of just you know people that are stuck in their ways, been doing the same thing for tradition of a hundred years, and uh, definitely just under large, noticing undertones of racism.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a tough place where he. Put himself in to try and um i guess get some justice for these guys in alabama but that that's that is the whole point of the equal justice initiative that he founded um which is actually still a um organization today. We should say this is all based on a true story, none of this is fictionalized
1: <laughs> yes it is yes and it. Is. <laughs> We forgot to mention that.
0: The truth is stranger than fiction. I mean, you know, some of these things that. uh, (laughs) Some of these things in the movie are just. I mean, it's hard to believe if I didn't know that all of this was fact.
1: Right. And to think that this was just like 30 years ago, like we're not even talking the 50s or anything like that, where you could suspect that sort of thing, or like it's this is relatively fresh knowledge and to think that like people were, people are acting still the way they are and the, and the inferiority to the superior complex of, you know, the white community over the smaller black community is mm-hmm. it's very prevalent. Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah. 30 years ago. But I would say that, I mean, in a lot of ways we haven't come that far <laughs> today. I mean, you know, some of these things, um, even if you pulled them out of 1989 and, you know, made it a story set in 2019, I can see happening. I mean, really, the only thing is, you know, the way that they are doing the death sentence is through the electric chair. And today they would probably do a lethal injection instead. But I mean, a lot of these other parts of the story, I mean, it would be believable if I saw a news story happening that, saying that this was happening today. So it's just really sad how far we have not come.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really it's it really is baby steps. Mm-hmm. And in, and the worst part about it is is that there is such like mass media coverage and we're able to and i guess maybe that uh, to bring it to even take it to another point the media has its pl- it's role to play in how the messages come across to the public but at the same time though it's just like this isn't the first time we've come across a story like this, this or is. and even though it seems like wrong it's just we haven't there's been no real recovery or long term solutions anything to just like bring some sort of real justice back to the families that have obviously been affected by this.
0: No, definitely not. And yeah. So, I mean, it's, I guess word gets around when Brian is bringing all this evidence forth to both the, um, defending prosecutor as well as the head of the, uh, police department, you know, cause, um, the police are actually, uh, kind of trying to scare away his um, one of his witnesses. Uh, oh, yeah. Even starts,
1: before that. even starts before that. The, there was a bomb threat at the house. He was staying out with Brian and uh, Eve. Right. The, yeah, that, it began with a bomb threat and later moved on to one of Brian's key uh, witnesses who actually was with the... Um, guy that was testimony with the police right the prosecution's witness thank you exactly the prosecution's witness he was with him at the time but he got uh he was arrested he was unlawfully arrested by the police for perjury Mm -hmm. so well i mean obviously the perjury was not you know didn't have any uh proof but you know who's gonna stop the the pow- big and powerful p- sheriff's department in a small town like
0: that. Right. So they know that that would cause the case to fall apart. So, I mean, they, they scare this witness so much that he doesn't want to take the stand anymore. And um, yeah, I mean, Brian Stevenson, he, he's even uh, pulled over um in the middle of the night. This was another tense scene, um, not speeding, not doing anything, just sees the uh, cops flashers, in the um, rear view mirror they pull him over and i mean he you can see i mean just <laughs> he puts both hands out on the steering wheel you know give give the cops no reason to you know think he has anything in the car um rolls down the window asks, hey you know like I, what was i pulled over for i know i wasn't speeding i wasn't swerving, wasn't doing anything wrong i think the cop just immediately whips out a gun, tells him to shut up and get out of the car. Yeah, get out of the car, get out of the car. So they can search it, search for um, any sort of, uh, you know, evidence that might uh, go ahead and disprove this case.
1: Really powerful imagery here, just because for one thing, as you were stating, Brian does everything to comply with the police, almost to the point where he has his steps going through his mind like okay i got pulled over was i doing anything wrong no okay my hands are on the steering wheel got nothing in it and to the point where the officer has the gun on brian he's literally stating what he's doing to make sure that this cop will not shoot him for any sort of reason Mm -hmm. like i'm unbuckling my seatbelt i am going towards the door to open it like the one false move, and honestly, Brian could have lost his life right there. They were just waiting for an excuse for him to do something stupid. Oh, I mean,
0: yeah, it was tense. I was, I was waiting for anything. I mean, I knew that we were only halfway through the movie, so you know, I had the feeling that this wasn't going to be the end. But you know, if if this hadn't been a movie, I mean, who, you know, it's it's just a very scary scenario, and nothing that. I could imagine myself ever having to go through and I think that's I mean is plainly just based on race.
1: Right, right. I had that same sort of thought in my mind too, just like it's really unimaginable and it's only something that truly the one with experience would only be able to describe and Uh, how he would be able to describe that with words i have no idea but it's just uh, it's all based on you know bigotry and hate and uh, overwhelming fear for the you know for the african-american community
0: Mm -hmm. so um they do go ahead and try and get a retrial for johnny d Um,
1: right And all during this time as well, I I would like to mention that Johnny D is, is, you know, he's on death row right now with a bunch of other African-American prisoners as well. And all of them are in there for one reason or another. But uh, uh, Brian is not only working on Johnny's case, but he's doing everything he can for all the cases around there.
0: That's right. Yeah, he's helping out most everybody there on death row and we do get some of their stories, um, namely one other death row inmate who, um, is actually, uh, put to death. And we do see that in the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, um, he had, well, was a Vietnam war veteran who was honorably discharged because his, uh, he was suffering from PTSD, severe PTSD, uh, because of a incident where his platoon was ambushed and he was the lone survivor. So, um, he was put to death row because of his, he was never treated for his PTSD and, uh, ended up going through having an episode and actually made a makeshift bomb and blew up one of his neighbor's house. Right. uh, Unfortunately, you know, unbeknownst to him and his rationale or reasoning behind it, he accidentally killed a, uh, Someone he killed a white woman, so that no matter how much Brian could actually help, it almost seemed like you know it was it was already set in stone
0: for him from the start. Right? Yeah, that gentleman's name was Herbert Richardson, and um, yeah, it's I mean it's a different case in, than Johnny D. In that, yes, he there was a crime committed, but what Herbert really needed was help for his PTSD. He didn't need to be on death row or regular security prison.
1: Yeah, he needed to be in a hospital being treated, and uh, he he never got that treatment. But uh, as much as stress he could have possibly been going through, especially during a time in the movie when he got a letter from the government setting his date for his execution. Um, Johnny D was there, uh, really helping him through his hard times. And what he did was, uh, just to go into a little more detail about it, was use some imagery to try and help Herbert feel like he was back out in the free. Mm -hmm. And how he did it was at the very beginning of the movie Johnny D is working with his lumberjack company. And he just finds a small little opening in the sky between the trees. And you can just see the pine trees dancing. And I thought this was so powerful because I mean, I mean, Matt, like how many times have you looked up in the trees and like, see, it wasn't like hard to imagine. It's, it's something that probably every person has seen look up in a forest and you just see a little spot through the trees to see the sky. And like that, saved Herbert. It really did. It's I mean, it really calmed him down and probably for many cases helped Johnny too.
0: Yeah, I love that imagery because it was um uh, very easy to also put yourself into that same mindset. Um but yeah, so uh Brian Stevenson, he tries to appeal to local courts, get a retrial for Johnny D and um even uh, even has uh, Ralph Myers, uh, the prosecution's original witness, basically just take back his entire story about Johnny D being the one who murdered this 18 year old white girl. And oh my gosh! They yeah, refused we refused to grant a retrial.
1: Right, right, Mike. I want to just take a moment here to go into more detail about this because my like. It, it, he was his testimony His possibly prosec- like he was a, you know, the prosecution's witness and everything like that, but mm-hmm. it wasn't to his own accord. He was forced into it. And, uh, we can tell because Brian goes and visits him in jail and he tells a story about being an orphan. And when he was younger, he was with his orphan mother and he had an incident. He was a burn victim. Mm-hmm. And, and he tells a story about how his young, when he was a young child, his pajamas caught fire. And, uh, it wasn't unknown to the community that he had issues with fire and flames and stuff of that. So what do they do? They take him to death row, put him right in the cell closest to the electric chair and literally had him smell the image, like the description he used, the smell of like burning, burning skin
0: skin and hair. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't know about you, but that—that that would just—that sounds terrifying. I mean, I, at that point, I, it's that's torture. That comes down to it. I would just—how could you not?
0: Oh, absolutely. Bend, yeah.
1: bend to the police's will.
0: Yeah, they used his worst fear against him, and all in the name of getting this innocent man to—I guess—take the fall for this murder. Um, right,
1: and thank goodness Spirit his be- conscience. Yeah, his conscience got the better of him, and he did confess. But just like you said, I mean, a month later after the trial period, Johnny D. still—I th- mean, what, what was the court order? The fact that you know he was the—he was lying under perjury or something like that. He, mm-hmm. His statement. Uh, can you go into more detail about that?
0: Yeah, I think that um, they uh, went with Ralph's original testimony uh basically saying that yeah that that did not count as lying under perjury
1: um, right which is like i just like it blows my mind because he swore on the bible and that's like isn't that the thing in court that's like the thing that's supposed to really show the between that you're telling the truth and it's even still and just completely took back everything he said and went into extreme detail about how this is actually what happened and johnny d was innocent and the court still favored the police side which is it really blew my mind
0: yeah so to to take a step back um when brian's first meeting ralph um you know they uh prison guards bring ralph out Brian and him are at a table sitting across from each other. And I actually thought that this was a really cool example of how, yes, uh, Brian is, you know, yes, he went to Harvard Law School, still a fresh faced lawyer, you know, may not um, have too many trials under his belt. uh, But he really does know how to talk to people and I guess lead things in a conversation the way that he needs them to go because right at first Ralph was just basically crossed my arms. I'm not telling you anything. As soon as the name Johnny D was even brought up, you know, Hey, I- I'm shutting up. We're not going to talk about that. Um, uh seems like Brian might, you know, schmooze him up a little bit, try you know, get some uh, a soda and some candy and stuff. But, talk about uh, some other
1: things. Yeah. Get it's off topic. Really
0: when Brian starts digging down into Ralph as a person realizes that Ralph has a couple of kids um you know some kids that he he cares more about than anything in the world and so he really tries to now make Johnny D humanized within Ralph's mind by talking about how Johnny D was ripped away from his kids by having to go to prison so right You know, I think if Ralph had never seen Johnny D before outside of just that original courtroom testimony, it's very easy in his mind to just, you know, dehumanize a person, you know, be like, hey, he might not have done this crime. But like, I, you know, I'm sure like whatever, you know, it's saving myself. I don't need to go on the electric chair. I don't need to sit in that cell right next to there but you know once brian kind of um puts them together that they both have children they both care for them they both would love to be out of prison and with these children and you're taking johnny d away from his children that's what really gets ralph to do the 180 and um recant his or take back his testimony
1: right and this yeah and i think this is a great example of how um People's reputation get lost, and um, uh, especially in a prison sense, because yeah, Ralph might have committed crimes and everything like that. And on upon first look of him, being that he's a burn victim and you know he, he's this white male that convicted a black person and stuff like that, your first inclination is to think that this is just like another racist bigot. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, though, like. And we find out later in the movie that he was framed and, and he's gone through just as much heartbreak and um, trauma in his life. And the it's not really even a gender thing where it comes to the police, you know, um, abusing their powers to force people to, to do what they want. It wasn't just black people. It was white people as well. And Ralph is the perfect example of that. I mean, this man is here, Uh, you know, committed a crime, going to jail for a long time. And they, even though he doesn't want to convict an innocent man to to death, they force him to. And, uh, it just goes to show that, you you know, it wasn't the police at this time, weren't just abusing their power amongst the black community. They were also doing it against their own white community as well.
0: Definitely. And so, yeah, after this, uh, retrial is refused, um, you mentioned the uh, media earlier, and I actually thought that this was a very good idea on Brian's part. He approaches 60 Minutes about um, getting a uh, story about uh, Johnny D. and this entire case in Alabama. And, um, yeah, just kind of tries to rally for public support before taking this case up to the Supreme Court of Alabama.
1: Yeah, yeah. you It would – Thank goodness, I guess, in this scenario, that 60 minutes is a reliable source of information because, as we've seen time and time again, media has, especially small-town uh, not news and things like that, they have a way of swaying and, uh, you know, working the media to their benefit. But oh,
0: definitely. Just as easily yeah. as it can help, it can also hurt.
1: Oh, yeah, but Brian was smart enough to know that, you know, there are people in this world that want to see justice prevail. And especially even if they don't want to see it inside this community. So the fact that he was able to just like take it out of this, this small isolated area of like one train thinking that, you know, maybe, maybe I can get different reaction out of different people. If this went nationwide and it did, it did to his uh, success.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, so um yeah, it's it's he has the public on his side now. Um, you know, this court case has now kind of been brought in front of the nation's eye. It's no longer a thing that can just be kind of buried under the rug in Alabama. Um and so yeah, Brian Stevenson actually goes to the um prosecuting lawyer's house, uh Tommy Chappell, yeah, so – is the name.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I think it was important to bring him up as well because I think Brian's biggest wall in his, you know, path to justice is this local town um, defense defense. Um, ooh, blanking on the name. Give me, what's his title? Thank you, defense attorney. Yeah, DA. Yeah, exactly. Is this guy Tommy Chapman? And uh, he's got a good foothold with the local sheriff. And he's built this reputation of being, hey, we're this small town, you know, we're good, we're friendly, good neighbors and everything like that. Go see the uh, Kill a Mockingbird Museum. You know, that's <laughs> our that's our town
0: highlight. I was going to touch on that. That is brought up more than once. I guess this, um, you know, Montgomery, Alabama was the setting for Harper Lee's book To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, and so the town, it, you know, in the honor of this book has built a museum around it. And more than once it's mentioned to Brian, oh, Hey, you're new in town. Why don't you go visit the, uh, to kill a mockingbird museum. And it's, it's just to me, read like such a show of, Hey, yeah, you know, like, look how progressive we are. This this book about, you know, a um, black man wrongfully accused. It's something that you're going to love, you know, just like, uh, you know, I know, I know, like a real changed, you know, like a real it's
1: honestly it's a real like backhanded compliment.
0: You know, it's oh, yeah. like,
1: hey, it's like, hey, you know, like, thanks for coming to our community. You can see that there's, you know, there's nothing to worry about here. We're friendly to all neighbors and stuff of like that. But really, what it is, it's just a, uh, it's a cover up, and Brian acknowledges that later on the in the movie when he's talking with Eve, and I mean, that took place. That book and setting took place back in the you know 1950s. But yeah, 50s, I believe. Yeah, but uh, 50 to 60 years before that, so 100 years, let's say, from the time that Brian's in Alabama. I mean, that there was a, a local river running through town or something like that, and that it was just a place to market and sell black slaves. And basically, they were just paraded around town. Thousands of slaves were just, you know. And so to cover that up, why don't we take this book about, you know, Overcoming black oppression and uh, yeah, that will be our new town highlight. That where that's one of the landmarks of the South.
0: Uh, you know what's even worse? I just looked up the uh, years that *To Kill a Mockingbird* was set, and it's actually 1933 through 1935. the book was published in the 60s.
1: Thanks. Okay, great. So I had the setting wrong, but the publication right. So right.
0: Well, I mean, it's just good <laughs> to show you how <laughs> far things have not come. Um.
1: yeah yeah it's hard to look and i'm gonna bring this up later on when we get get a couple more talking about about just essential especially the time frame of this movie but it a hundred years seems like a long time Mm -hmm. for any human and stuff like that but we're talking about like it's kids it really isn't it really is not that long of a time and just like the expectations that people have to make great change in a short amount of time is just unrealistic. And especially when you're putting that faith in others to make the change instead of you being a part of the change, it just goes to show that, you know, we're doomed to repeat ourselves. And it's, it seemed time and time again, Johnny D makes a great point about how he's talking about his ancestry, right? With Brian and how his great granddaddy told his grandfather that, you know, you're going to be the age of change. And then his grandfather told his father the same thing. And then his father eventually told Johnny D when you grow up, you're going to be the age of change for our, uh, you know, for our, uh, our race and for our community. And now Johnny D here, he is like a 40 year old man and nothing's changed. And that's, that's the lifespan of, you know, just from Johnny D's, you know, family tree that's the span of four or five people so if they all live to be 70 80 year old people that's 300 years that's close to 300 years and 300 years and no
0: change that's absolutely right yeah i mean i think one of the most important things to take away from this movie is that it's things are only going to be changing by us educating ourselves and becoming the lawyers judges politicians whatever that are going to make the difference because you can't just sit back (laughs) and wait for, you know, things to change because they're not going to, especially not in these kind of slow moving outskirts part of the countries like, you know, this setting in Alabama here.
1: Right. Right. It has to be done on a national level and it can't, and it's something that you can't expect to be done overnight. And that's something I think Brian figures out because his whole goal was to um, his goal in life is to, you know, create great change in the world, but it took him so long just for Johnny D to get him off of death row. I mean, over the time span of the film, it's, t- it takes, it takes months for anything to happen. And, and I think I did the math, Johnny D before he gets out of jail is six years, and he was innocent,
0: right right
1: yeah. so yeah, so it just goes to show that you know change will come with time, but it's something that needs to you know it will progress, but it'll only progress as fast as we all together, not just one single person all together as a community, you know move for the change
0: definitely and. Yeah, actually um the movie does have a happy ending. Um the uh, Supreme Court um does overturn the Circuit Court's decision, grants uh Walter Johnny D McMillan his retrial. Um and yeah, actually uh it it seems like Brian's uh meeting with Tommy Chapman at, at his house kind of trying to Urge him to, you know, join the motion to have all of the charges dismissed. Right. Is effective because, right. Um, the day comes, they all go to the court to, uh, the the courts to, um, appeal. And, uh, Tommy Chapman does actually agree to join the motion and dismiss the case against Johnny D.
1: Right. Yeah. He, uh, he, Definitely, yeah, exactly He concedes victory. It's um, to be honest, it's funny that you bring up Tommy Chapman because that's important to bring up the entire time it really seems that Tommy's doing everything in his power to fight the fight Brian and it really we really see this hit home for him during the 60 the 60 minute TV segment and he's eating dinner with his children and his wife in their living room watching Tommy basically, deny that this needs to go any further and that, you know, Johnny D was an innocent man and he can't even look his wife in the eye because he can feel her eyes like burning a hole in the back of his head because yeah. of what he had said during the interview. And it's from that point on that it's just, it's not really even a racing anymore. Like, and I think the sheriff even said it too, which I mean, the sheriff definitely did show tones of race under like undertone racism and stuff like that. But oh, absolutely. it's all re- It's all reputation. It's all this reputation and stuff like that. Tommy was always going to be the DA that everyone loves. That has a big smile and everything like that, that anyone can go to and say, how you doing? And, and he built up this reputation for himself that like, he just didn't want to break it and become this person that could have been proven that, Hey, I was wrong. And we took the easy way out on this case. And, uh, you're right. Exactly. It's almost the, the, the judge had a pretty easy day at court for such a serious case because Brian's testimony was just so bulletproof and Tommy's literally just like, uh, yeah, go with Brian. I concede. And, right. uh, and yeah.
0: And yeah. I mean, just, just because Tommy Chapman does, um, join the motion and, you know, just miss the case at the, and doesn't make him a good guy. I mean, if it weren't for no, Brian that's Stevenson yeah. coming to this town, so well educated from Harvard, nothing would have changed. I mean, Yeah,
1: this would have been swept under the rug and it, nothing and there that murderer would still be out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, Brian was just throughout the entire movie a thorn in Tommy Chapman's side just constantly yeah prodding him, and Tommy didn't like that. I mean you know he 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 did want to see himself as kind of the savior of this town. you know, hey, I locked the guy, bad guys up, don't go digging too deep into it, you know, but I locked the bad guys up um, you, know, and, uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> you I mean, don't need to know the how you don't need to know the why I just did it all right don't question right.
0: it he's friendly with you know the law enforcement, everybody seems to love him, and he really did see himself as you know the savior of this town. And, you know, it's it's Brian who's actually coming in sniffing, wants, you know, to actually get things right and not just get things done, I guess, the easy way that uh, Tommy Chapman can't stand. And so, I mean, when when he knows he's going to lose the case anyways, that's when he throws in the towel. You know, it does not make him a good guy whatsoever. I think he's just trying to save some face
1: it really is it's it's the it's the self ego you know hurting your self ego versus doing what the greater good is and i want to make sure this is clear when i say this is that i don't think tommy was ever a racist person but he was the type of person that didn't want to take action mm-hmm. and he wanted to sweep under the rug but you can argue that's just as bad as turning a blind eye to issues is just as bad is those that are causing the issues themselves. It's because you're obviously saying to the world, to the masses that I'm okay with things that are wrong with the world. I can live with it as long as it's not affecting me and my family in a negative way. Like, I don't, I don't care about my neighbor, even though this guy is coming off as all oh, we're good neighbors and I care about my community and everything like that. But is if as long as it didn't affect him he was okay with that but when Brian came wrong and exactly like you said with a thorn in his side that's when he started sweating
0: right sheriff Tate on the other hand the sheriff of the county um i do think was a racist i mean just yeah. even at the end with the retrial court case just a slap in the face to Johnny D's family neighbors friends who come for the trial, um, they all have to wait outside of the courtroom while um, the uh, Sheriff Tate has his men basically let every other white person in town, it seemed like, come in and take up all the Real
1: seats. petty shit. Like, Johnny real D's
0: trial. They can't even get a seat. And so they all have to stand in the back. Um, They're very Johnny strong
1: Strong imagery there. I mean, just like uh, Rosa Parks all over again. It seemed like, but I mean, this is just like, even if I honestly I believe that even if there wasn't a black person in that courtroom, that I think that the judge would have favored in Brian's case. Just and so at the end of the at the end of the day, that was just him being a sore loser, petty, and I'm gonna do everything I can to be the you know, piece of crap person I am.
0: Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's overturned. Johnny D, Walter McMillan, is reunited with his family. Um, and then there were some epilogue notes at the end of the movie. Um, I thought these were, you know, very important. Uh, Brian Stevenson and Eva Ansley, um, you know, two founders of the EJI, the Equal Justice Initiative, um they are still active and still fighting for justice up to today um this whole book or this whole movie sorry was actually based on a uh, book written by Brian Stevenson also the title Just Mercy um and yeah so i mean really brings this court case to light um Walter Johnny D McMillan and uh, Brian Stevenson did remain friends throughout the rest of Johnny D's Johnny life. Johnny D's life, yeah, he did die in uh, 2013.
1: Um, right, right, and he's saying uh, Brian continued to help people innocent on death row. Uh, I can't remember the exact number in the epilogue, but for, for one thing, the EJI, I mean wow you just see it grow from the beginning of the movie i mean it begins just being brian and eve Well, for actually first (laughs) it begins just eve calling these uh, law offices to try and get them a space where they can actually work and she i mean she goes in and that's the first time we meet her because when brian's first introduced to her she i mean she's arguing to try and get a space and stuff but um we just see that that it, EGI over the years has grown into a relatively large law mm-hmm. for law firm. And, uh, we get a whole, you know, like family photo type picture in the epilogue, but throughout their years of service, they've already, I think it's like close to a hundred, a hundred cases of innocent people that were put on death row, mm-hmm. including, um, Ray played by O'Shea Jackson jr. Who was one of, uh, Uh, Walter D's cellmates. This is the crazy part. This is the craziest part of this film again. And I'm bringing up the timeline of the film in general of just like how slow the justice service moves and how little representation these guys actually got. When Brian actually got into the point where he could help Ray and prove him innocent. Ray was in jail for 30 years, Mm -hmm. 30 years. I cannot in that small so we get a picture of the cell, like it's this box of nothingness. And he's in there for like 20, like 23 to 24 hours of the day, 30 years. That's yeah. it's, a, it's, it's, it's unfathomable. It really is
0: stomach. Yeah. So this, uh, you can look up the case. It's, it's his name is Anthony Ray Hinton and you're right. He was played in the movie by O'Shea Jackson, Jr. Um, ice Cube's son, uh, but yeah, you're right. It's, uh, 30 years before he was able to have all charges dropped, it wasn't released until 2015. So, um, yeah. and the fact that
1: like, it's so, it was so, uh, recent that we have all this technology now for, you know, cameras and actually getting footage and stuff like that. We actually see him leaving the courthouse and like getting his, uh, innocent plea and stuff like that and it's it's really moving it really is just to get like actual footage of this person that you know you it is a true story and you know you can only relate to the characters so much because they are actors and stuff like that but when you see the real person walking out of court and his family hugging him for the first time in 30 years it's like whoa it's powerful. you know i'm Definitely. like yeah it's really powerful it really is and uh it's just like uh the time the, the timeline of the justice system you know you it's amazing how much work these guys put in for i mean it's they're doing really powerful work but i mean what was the statistic at the end in the epilogue one in every 9 felons Convicted to death row are actually innocent yeah. or proven innocent. That's so, right. like, almost 10%. That is, that's ludicrous. Those that are is, bad
0: numbers. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's to the point, it's to the point of like, what's the point of having death row? Like, is can we question? I mean, don't get me wrong. There is major evil in the world, but like, are there any really true crimes that dictate a person to death row? I mean, life in prison seems just as bad as sentencing a person to death. And, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, these, uh, if you're telling me that you have this section of prison, uh, the prison sentence that you're telling these people that their crimes were so unjust that they're going to be put to sentence to death. And you're telling me that like 10% of them are wrongly accused. It's, it begs the question: What's the point? What's the point? You're you're shooting. You're trying to shoot in the dark, and you're and for the most part, you're getting a lot of them wrong.
0: Absolutely, and that's one of the things that the Equal Justice Initiative is trying to do is abolish the death penalty across the nation.
1: Um, for so, the most part,
0: I mean that's a great
1: honestly, and I, I wish I had the answer it now that we're talking about it. But uh, for the most part, is for across the nation is the death penalty abolished
0: i believe there's still some states that are holdouts let me yeah i can look it up
1: yeah that's a good i mean maybe for another time or something like that another conversation but um i do believe that the eji had a large role to play in that and um
0: oh my god yeah it's uh That's actually a lot Pinnacle. worse than i was thinking um oh is it really yeah i don't know how up to date this Information is uh, – so. sorry if, if this is the wrong number, but it looks like there's still 28 states that have the death penalty.
1: Jeez, more than half.
0: That's right, yeah, more That's, than half.
1: Yeah, it's still crazy to think about. It's still crazy. I mean, makes you think. It makes you think. Was for words right now.
0: Yeah, it's uh definitely something to think about and that's I I really do um want to bring to light this movie. Um obviously I I mean, you know, it was a popular movie when it came out in 2019, did make its um money back and then some. But really glad that it is for free to rent throughout all of June cuz I think it's, it's a very important story to see and i mean think about and see how we haven't progressed very far in these current times just with all of this going on during the george floyd protest movements and black lives matter uh protest movements
1: i totally agree i totally agree and it's hard uh to put yourself into the shoes of those that are affected by you know not the protesting, but those crying out for help right now. And for any listeners that are just thinking like, where's my role to play in this? You know, it's any role really is the answer to that question. Like your, your voice is as loud as any other voice that is a part of this movement. And if you need any sort of, you know, reinforcement to, you know, stake your claim into these, you know, very, um, change-worthy time. These movies that we've listed are all great examples of just like how innocent, ordinary, average Joe people are being uh, victims of the system, and how easily that it could just be your neighbor or someone affected in your family. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, it's uh, it's not. That far away from your hometown, as uh, Brian, for example, finds out, his very first case on death row was a boy his age that did choir just like he did from a small town like he was from, and it's that type of uh, recognizing these things that you know it could have easily have just been him on death row instead of the boy he visited at the very beginning. His, you know, his it could have definitely have flipped on its head that way right. just as easily.
0: Their two lives so, just took different paths and that's how they, you know, right. each got So where they were.
1: Yeah, just re- restating, just go watch this movie or watch, you know, Help is another great movie. Selma is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't need, I don't, I can help me out here. You got any there's more a movies?
0: Name. And, I mean, actually, there really are a lot that are free to rent right now in addition to Just Mercy. You just named um, Sama is also free to rent on every digital service you can think of. And I don't think I'm going on out on a limb here saying that we both wholeheartedly recommend that you watch this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, if my previous statement yeah. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't anything towards that then yes please watch this movie if you haven't already it's by no it, means an easy watch but it's it, it an isn't. important watch and something that right. afterwards is important to think about and chew on and think about how you can help the cause um, right So right. consider you know the money that you would have spent renting the movie however much that is five dollars plus more if you can donate it donate to black lives matter or to the agi egi i know the egi is a, a non-profit organization so they do take donations mm-hmm. um uh, yeah any
1: anything even helping your local community or you can take it to the, den- uh, the naacp uh really i mean everyone is really it's, a, it's kind of Everyone's hand in hand right now. All communities can use any sort of help or voice um, from you guys. So do what you think is best. There's no, no amount too small.
0: Right. Yeah. Any help at all is um, very much appreciated at these times.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, The one thing I wanted to kind of, you know, bring it back to more themes Mm -hmm. in the film was um, this young cop who uh, I didn't ca- – I don't know if I caught his name throughout the film, but he plays uh, definitely a role of change in the film. I uh, He was the, at the very beginning when Brian first went to go meet with Johnny D. He was the cop that strip-searched him, and uh, that was Brian's real first taste of just how ludicrously uh, – Uh, you know, outrageous. These guys were going to, to to humiliate Brian and to, you know, tear him down a peg. Uh, But at the beginning, you see um, this guy who's obviously just grown up in the community and just got his traditions from his family or his neighbors. Like I said, from his community and had this underlying notion of just already not liking the black community for whatever reason he may have had in his mind, if not just for the sake that everyone else was doing it, so I should hop on the bandwagon. deep-seated. Right, it's deep-seated. But it's not to the point, I wouldn't call it hate. I think it was just humiliation because you can tell from the end of the strip search when he was asking Brian to, you know, sp- <laughs> spread and cough over, kind of yeah. thing. Just yeah, bend over reason. cough. He, he made it a joke. Like he he wasn't out to really hurt he didn't anything. Think he had anything hurt, Brian, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. It wasn't to hurt Brian physically, it was to hurt his ego and hurt him emotionally. But when we move on later into the film and it Herbert was his name, correct? The um, other ending? the one who was put to death.
0: Yes. Herbert, yes, that's right.
1: Yeah. It's it goes to show of just like when you have something as strong and as deep as the, to- the topic and conversation of death. And all of that stuff just got pushed to the side. Even Herbert brings it up. Like I've never been asked so much of how I am and how I feel and what I want until he was put to death and all from white people, all mm-hmm. from people who were just like trying to sympathize what he was going to be going through. And we really see it in this young cop who actually has an eye to eye moment with Herbert who is literally getting shot to the electric chair. And it's almost like, like it's that in in itself just really shone shun a light on this young cop to being like, what are we really doing? What has this person done to deserve such a fate as in like knowing the day you're going to die and then (laughs) publicly, being executed for people to watch. It's sickening. And it's uh just like like I was saying, it wasn't just this young cop. It was everyone. One of the cops played a song on the radio for his as his last request. And all of them were trying to pay their respects for a person that no one respected and thought were a killer just the day before
0: right yeah every day of his life up until that one day where he's being put to death is when he actually is right. kind of treated like a human being yeah you're right. right about the um the the young cop i i don't see um his name listed here i'm not sure that they ever name him in the movie but um it is kind of a, a story within a, the story of the movie that you do get to revisit him and i guess kind of see a uh change of heart and i mean you know it is whether that was based on a real character or not i don't know but you know you would hope that it's something that with somebody young enough in law enforcement that they would be taking through to the end of their career instead of you know the next day just reverting to their past ways um
1: right right even when even when they're setting up the electric chair. The young boy is setting up with another police officer, and the police officer says, is "Like is this is your first execution." And the guy said, "Yeah." The guy says, "The other cop says, uh, well, don't think about it too much, or your your mind will go to your mind will go to hell.'" Yeah. So never gets even, even. Yeah. So you see, you see the route that this young cop could go. He could just say, "Hey, this is part of the job. Don't think about it too much. I'm just doing my duty." But you can't. You just can't ignore it. It's too, it's, too, it's too powerful. It's too powerful to just sweep under the rug like that and not cause you to go home at night and have a sleepless night. Yeah, it's a
0: human life.
1: And yeah, it's a human life. And it goes to show, really, it just goes to show how superficial racism is. It's totally surf, surface bullshit. And, when it comes, and now that you come across and you see something like death, that affects everyone and is something that's unavoidable for all of us. That's when you peel back the onion layers. You really drop this stupid superficial, you know, skin color thing and see who Herbert was, who was just this man who, Well, for most of officers, there probably knew that he was troubled. Probably knew that he had post traumatic stress disorder. They know his backstory. They knew that he was uh, this came from Vietnam. And regardless of that, he he was sentenced to you know you know he was sentenced to what he was sentenced and and there and there you have it. But yeah, so really, super racism is only skin deep. And we see it for real detail in this film.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. Brings to light a lot of things that are, you know, (laughs) a lot of people would like to sweep under the rug, but can't be. I mean, they do need to be brought to light. There do need to be conversations about it, even if it's going to be tough and uncomfortable for some people it can't just keep on getting swept under the rug. And I think this movie does a great job at kind Mm -hmm. of sparking some of those conversations. Um,
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. True. True. And I think that goes for our listeners out there too. Uh, You just, all films can't be rom-coms and situational (laughs) comedies and, and all action adventures, you know, and films are meant to be an entertaining, you know, release for us throughout our stressful day, but it's, truly an art form that's meant to educate as well. And if you are the type of listener that's okay with taking time to learn things and uh, understand tough, difficult, hard-to-swallow topics, uh, there it's really insightful stuff. And you can come away from these films learning more, not only about yourself and how you treat others, or but just how – the rest of the world works. And, you know, for someone like Brian in this film, he thought that he could do great, greater good and make a great change. And it would be as black and white as that, but he didn't understand that how much gray area there was for someone that was in his case with Johnny D.
0: That's a great point. So yeah, that was just mercy. I I, I only
1: make great points, Matt. I only make (laughs) great points.
0: (laughs) That's a great point that you only make great points. (laughs) um just mercy 2019 Uh, um as we said before you know if you if you can donate if you are in that position please do if not there's plenty of other ways to help the cause um
1: yeah even just through social media just like i know i've known through my instagram and twitter there are multiple voices out there for individuals like yourself that are taking a stand and making their voice heard. And, uh, this is the time to do it. Don't be shy. You'll, uh, it might be something that you regret, you know, take, take this time to, you know, say what you need to say, get it off your chest because everyone else is doing it. And, uh, you'll have a lot of support to back you up as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely.
1: Right. And, uh, also for all of you out there who are, risk takers and want to protest and want to be out there be safe because it's in some states it's crazy there is a lot to there's a lot of risk in doing what you're doing but it's for a greater good just uh be safe in doing it oh my gosh and also we've seen some aftermath
0: here in north carolina but in other states like i i've seen you know videos in seattle washington seems to be a real battleground far as our protests go it's uh it's horrifying stuff but it's it's real i mean
1: it's real real and for all of you uh, hopefully for none of our listeners out there but if you're loitering any of the small businesses fuck you and fuck your business because you shouldn't be doing that crap right Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just, just need to say it because like i cannot believe how many people are just like busting windows and taking stuff that's like <laughs> they didn't do anything to you don't let Don't let this turn into that.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, All right. Well, I think this has been a very productive episode. Um, Again, please watch this movie anytime in June for free the entire month. So there's not much of a reason not to. Um, But, you know, don't take our word for it. Anything that you've heard during this podcast, go and watch for yourself. Um, You know, come to your own conclusions and thoughts about this story um, really is uh, gripping and powerful and real, Um, you know, and sometimes fact is stranger than fiction. So please do watch it. Can't recommend it enough.
1: Yes, absolutely agree. And uh, it might be a hard pill to swallow, but I think all of us need that. Sometimes we all need a little slap from reality. Right. Absolutely agree.
0: All right. Well, until next time, everybody, thank you for listening and see you later.